I'm Heather Roberts here with Oregon U.S. Senator Ron Wyden. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me. And you have been this week especially really focused on this one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. And there's a piece of that that you've been talking about that is just now going into effect in relation to saving people money on prescriptions drugs. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I believe you're talking about the uh, price gouging penalty. And this was something that I developed a number of years ago. The Republicans, uh, a number of them on the Finance Committee, voted for it at that time when it was part of another bill. And what it simply says is that when these big pharmaceutical companies are charging more uh, in terms of a rate hike than inflation, they have to pay a penalty into Medicare. And that is then used to lower the coinsurance that seniors would have to pay, say, when they go to their doctor's uh, office. And we crunched uh, some numbers and we found a uh, uh, cancer drug in particular where they would save $220 per dose uh, in terms of using that drug because of uh, the price gouging penalty that's gone into effect already. So a lot of pharmaceutical companies have said, at least in the past, that if you limit how much they can raise prices, that impacts their ability to do research and development. How can they go out and find new drugs if they're not making a good margin of profit on the drugs that are already out there? How how does Congress rectify that then? Well, for, for first of all, these pharmaceutical companies get massive amounts of tax support in so many instances, for example, on the drug that I just mentioned, the cancer drugs, many of the cancer drugs get to market primarily because the initial research has actually been done by the government, done by the government in uh, federal uh, laboratories. And I just believe that we want to strike a balance here. Of course, we want the cures. Of course, we want the new research uh, developments. But if, for example, your listeners, say, in Central Oregon or another part of Oregon, are doing a lot of the heavy lifting, in effect, with their tax dollars, that ought to be reflected in terms of their being able to afford medicine that, to a great extent, has gotten to market with their tax money. Can you give us an idea of some of the other drugs that, uh, in theory, some of these seniors should be saving on? Well, uh, the leukemia drug I made mention of at uh, the release here because we crunched those uh, uh, numbers, a very significant one will be Humira, uh, the blockbuster arthritis drugs where seniors have used uh, so uh, many instances uh, that drug and uh, that's uh, going to be a real relief to them in their pocket as well. Now, these are specific to Medicaid recipients. What what about the rest of the public? What about if I'm not a Medicaid? Medicare drugs paid for under the Medicare program. Oh, okay. Examples that I gave you. Now, we had a vote actually in the United States uh, Senate on the Inflation Reduction Act to, for example, extend the cap on insulin to the private sector and we weren't able to get Republicans to vote for it. And ironically, uh, right now, the government even uses private sector measures as part of determining the price for drugs that, uh, like Medicare that are, are federal. So it just makes no sense not to have on these basic drugs like insulin. It doesn't make any sense to 
say, okay, we're going to limit it on the Medicare side, $35, and then not do it for the private sector. So the general public or someone like me, I'm not I'm not eligible for Medicare yet. So I'm not going to see those prescription drug savings at this point. You're, you're not going to see the insulin drug uh, savings for the reason that I mentioned Republicans wouldn't vote for it on the floor of the Senate. But let me tell you one other reason why this is good for you and, and others who are not yet of Medicare age. The history of the Medicare program, and I used to use this example when I taught gerontology at the University of Oregon, the whole uh, discussion of aging um, issues. The history is that because Medicare is the flagship purchaser of medicine in America, it's so big, more than 50 million seniors. The history of Medicare is when Medicare stakes out some uh, bold ground, it's nearly always followed by the private sector, which is why after uh, there was the cap on insulin as it related to Medicare, a number of private companies, not all of them, but a number of them copied Medicare and said, we're going to do it for our private patients. So you might benefit in that instance because Medicare led and the private sector couldn't explain to their customers why they weren't getting it. Let's switch gears a little to Medicaid. And you are advocating, you and Senator Merkley are both advocating for expanding voter registration through Medicaid, which sounds a little bit like Oregon's motor voter. Is that is that kind of where this is starting from? Yeah, it's very, it's very similar. Access to the ballot box is the cornerstone of our democracy. And in Oregon, we have seen great success with automatic uh, voter registration in the seven years since Oregon began the first state to implement the motor voter law. Our voter registration lists have expanded from 2.16 million to more than 2.98 million. And I think that uh, this is a very smart bill that the Oregon legislature had uh, passed recently. And we're trying to get the Biden administration to uh, proceed with it. And let me just make one you know, important kind of point. Uh, people have asked about privacy, you know, issues. And people call me the biggest privacy hawk in the United States um, uh, Senate. And the new law ensures important privacy guardrails and also allows Oregonians to opt out of registering to vote. So nobody in Oregon will be forced to do anything they don't want to do. Additionally, it only allows the Oregon Health Authority to share the name and age, residence, citizenship, and electronic signature, if there is one, of Medicaid applicants with the Oregon Secretary of State. No other information. I want to make sure we have time. So I'm going to switch gears again, only because we're going to run out of time. And, and I want to make sure to talk a little bit about your Oregon Bounty Tour. And you are hoping to bring that to Central Oregon in October. What I find so interesting is that you're taking a premise that started with semiconductors and trying to kind of put that on Oregon Ag, which seems very unrelated. Well, what we're doing is using the same kind of model. We, two years ago, the Oregon Business Council asked me and, uh, and there were other co-chairs uh, as well to lead the semiconductor uh, task force. And we've had a banner year in, in terms of this whole um, effort. We had Gina Raimondo, 
uh, come to uh, Oregon, the Secretary of Commerce. I talked to her uh, this morning and uh, uh, suffice it to say, the $24 billion in investment tax credits that I got uh, uh, for the semiconductor sector are already paying off. Analog devices, for example, have said they're interested. Uh, the expansion uh, of Intel uh, in Washington County, the commitment of funds that Governor Kotak has made. We've done very well with this. And I said, you know, that's enormously important to our state because you use semiconductors and chips literally from the time you get up in the morning till the time you get up at night. Let's take the model of trying to build from the grassroots uh, up and uh, and go out and listen to farmers. And we've got a uh, opportunity at the business summit this December to present the plan to the governor and Democrats and Republicans in the legislature. And also the farm bill is going to be coming up on the federal side. So we thought it would make sense to uh, get out there and listen to farmers. And it's been a very, very productive kind of uh, trip. And we've already learned a lot. Do you know yet who you hope to hear from in October out here in the high desert? We haven't uh, gotten into planning all the details. I just know that uh, uh, we've basically been at it for four weeks uh, over the summer break. It has really been good. I had a lot of town meetings, had a town meeting, for example, in Hood River, the first ever uh, Senate uh, meeting that was designed to speak to the Hispanic uh, community and in Spanish. And so we'll have, uh, I think, a very productive um, fall, and we'll have an announcement about uh, all the places we're going to visit in Central Oregon here shortly. I was able to attend the one you did with hazelnuts and wine growers. Very uh, interesting to kind of hear their struggles and what they're hoping you'll take back to Congress. Uh, but uh, we are out of time. We will, I'm sure, touch base before that visit as well. Anything else uh, exciting happening in the Senate right now before I let you go? No, I, I, I think obviously the new fiscal fiscal year is is coming up very, very shortly. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on trying to bring folks together. And uh, that's kind of what I specialize in. It's very hard when you have a big group on the far right and a big group on the far left. And, you know, a bunch of us are trying to find some common ground. And that's what the Senate Finance Committee chairmanship is always about. And that's what I'll do. Okay. Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, thank you so much. Thanks for, for doing it, Heather. We'll do it again soon. You're listening to FM News 100.1 and 1110 KBND.